Well, good morning, everyone. I'm looking out here, and I'm starting to wonder if I let y'all out too early last week. There's not, the, we got a hole over here. <laughs> well, I'm glad everyone who could make it made it today. Wasn't that beautiful? And I'll give a little plug. If you ever want to listen to some of these operatories that we've had in the past, uh, you can go to our website under our media uh, tab, look for uh, audio archives, or to our podcast, and you can replay some of these offertories that you have missed. And if some of these musicians just now know that they are being pasted all over the internet, well, there you go. Uh, but that, this is one that I'll probably listen to again. Thank you all very much. And so today we look at the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy is an interesting book. It, it uh, is basically kind of an interruption in the story. If you've ever read through the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you've read the Pentateuch, that's the five books of Moses, uh, you, you will notice that as you read through the end of Numbers, the Israelites are encamped on the plains of Moab, just across from Jericho, poised to enter the Promised Land. And then as you read through this long book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites are camped on the plains of Moab, poised to enter the promised land. You know, you may not find that interesting, but it's basically an entire story sitting in one place. You know, Nathan had a disciple now, not too long ago, with the theme of pause. This is what took place in the life of the Israelites. God put the pause button on their actions. They had spent 400 years down in Egypt. They became enslaved and under the mighty hand of the Pharaoh. And God, through mighty signs and wonders, delivered them, delivered them out of their bondage. And he was heading them towards the promised land, the, the ancestral promise he made to Abraham. That they would live in a land flowing of milk and honey, that they would have offspring more numerous than the stars and skies, all this kind of stuff. But when they came out of slavery, they did not know how to be the people of God because they had been oppressed. They had been pushed down. They had not yet been made into the people of God. So that first generation, it's no wonder that they failed. They longed for those meat pots back in Egypt. They didn't want this manna, this kind of pasty flake stuff. Basically, they didn't want a cornbread diet, not cornbread, cornflakes. That's what it was, cornflakes every day. I like cornflakes. I don't know if I want it every single day of my life. But they longed for what they were missing because they had not yet fully put their camp with God. They had saw these mighty things that he was able to do to deliver them, but they had yet not let, learned to be a part of their whole life. Even Moses failed with his anger with this obstinate group of people. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, learning to depend on God. Whole generation had to learn to depend on God. And during this time, Moses was given the opportunity to listen to God and to put onto paper or tablets, however he did it. But he gave us the history of Genesis, of Numbers, of Deuteronomy, of Leviticus, the laws. He basically set up the governance of a new people in a new land. And the book of Deuteronomy is a collection of kind of farewell sermons 
these kind of sermons of Moses that were preparing the people to enter a place that they had never been before. They had seen with their eyes, but they had never tasted. They have heard of the promises, but it had never been fulfilled. And now they're right there on the edge. And we put the pause button. We press pause on the action so that the people can take time to listen, to remember, to hear, to listen to the guidance of their leader. And it's also about a transition. It's transition to the next generation. The generation would be led by Joshua. But today in chapter 6, my heading calls it the greatest commandment. We are going to look at the first nine verses. So if you have that in your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Follow along with me as I read them aloud. Now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. That you may do them in the land to which you were going over to, to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now these commandments, these statutes of the Lord, if you flip back one, one chapter, chapter 5, you find the Ten Commandments. There is something important about the Ten Commandments. They are not an exhaustive list of rules, of do's and don'ts. If you try to follow them, you realize that you, you can't necessarily make every decision based on the Ten Commandments. You have to take them and apply them to different situations. And when we look at the Ten Commandments, we find two basic sections. The first section is about your relationship, your attitude between you and your God in heaven. He's become first in your life. You shouldn't replace him with anything. Now, back in Moses' day, back in the people of Israel's day that were hearing this for the first time, they would have just came out of the land of Egypt. You know, they heard the stories of their parents and their grandparents telling them about all the idols and the worship and even worshiping, you know, their emperor and all this kind of stuff, their pharaoh. You can understand what it had been like of living in this culture, of seeing these graven images that people bow down to, that they offer sacrifices that they would pray to. We don't have that today. We don't have a bunch of shrines in our town where you can go and offer light up incense and these kind of things. We don't have different kinds of temples. We have different kinds of churches. But most of them, for the most part, believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's how they carry it out is what makes us different. But in their day, they had these. But I will tell you, this is still probably the one of the most abused 
rules of the Ten Commandments, of these graven images. The devil has worked hard on our culture, on our society, to change the name of God to the name of whatever he could fill in the blank. If you're a sports fan, I bet you spent yesterday watching sports. You know, some of us are pretty proud of our teams. Maybe I should have wore a little green and yellow. Some of us not so much. But we got to be careful. We can make that our God. I mean, just think of a football game. The pageantry, the celebration. I mean, that's like a worship service in and of itself. You have the great processions and the music and all this uplifting chants. And then there's battle. All that kind of stuff. But that's not the only thing. Maybe sports isn't your thing. Maybe it's work. Work is good. God created work. But if that is all we do, if work comes before everything else, we have turned it into this graven image for ourselves. You have to reflect on the things of your life. Have they become more important to you than God? It could very well be against these commandments that he's called out. Maybe you just don't like all the rules. Maybe you just, you know, want to have things simple. Well, let's look at this one. Mine is called the greatest commandment. Your heading. I don't know what your heading is and what version of the Bible you use. But it seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. That's the only verse in the whole Bible you really need to memorize. This is one that the Jewish people memorized. And as they applied these verses very literally, they got kind of funny on it. They would actually roll up Ten Commandments in little scrolls and write the words of this scripture here on little scrolls, and they would put them in little leather pouches. Some of them would wear them on the foreheads, like it said here. Some of them would bind it to their arms. I know my grandparents had one of these things that they mounted on the doorpost of their house so that they would see these words as they came and as they went. You can be very literal about stuff. Do we need to do that? Do we need to have these symbols where we see them constantly to remind us? Yes, we kind of do. Now, you may not want to go home and buy a leather pouch, write all the words of Scripture in it, and put it on your forehead, because then people might start calling the authorities to see what's wrong with you. But we need these reminders. We need these reminders in our lives, these symbols that will point us to the love of God. Because so easily we turn to our own path, our own direction, and we miss what God has there in front of us. Seems simple. All you have to do is love God. And that's indeed what the first set of the commandments point to, is how do we love our God? How do we love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might or our strength? The application is the hard part, isn't it? We can recite these words by memory. We can see these all the time, but the application is where we usually fail. And this is what Moses was pointing out to the people. You need to have a square foundation before you get ready to do this. And if you read through the book of Joshua, well, you know that they went in strong. They had this pep talk, man, and they were living by God's statutes. They were listening to his command. His holy angel was fighting the fight for them. He was taking out their enemy before him. He was just giving him this land. 
but they started thinking it was themselves. They started consulting their own leaders, their own military commanders. And then God didn't fight for them. What should have been easy victory, they were routed. They were destroyed. And if you read through the end of the book of Joshua, you will know that they hadn't fully conquered the land because they hadn't fully invested in this simple statute to love the Lord your God before yourself. That's what it's calling us to do. That is what the first part of the commandment is calling us to do. And the second part of the Ten Commandments is teaching us how to live in relationship with one another. Maybe we can think about God in everything that we do. Maybe we can have the highest spiritual ideals and live by them. We may be the spiritual gurus of our day. But if that doesn't change how we live with God's other creations, everyone in this room, outside our doors, in other countries, all around the world, in other religions, if that doesn't change how we live with others, then we miss what God has called us to be. He's called us to first love Him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength and might. But then He calls us to love our neighbors. Jesus sums it up in the gospel. Those are the two greatest commandments. Everything hinges on those. So if you don't like a set of rules, good, throw them out. But rules are much easier to live by than loving your God and loving your neighbor before yourself. God calls us to be more than we are today. He calls us to be His children because He has loved us from all eternity. He has given us a plan so that we may be redeemed. He has redeemed this people of Israel from their slavery in Egypt. He gave them statutes and ordinances to live by so that they may know how to live in the right relationship to God. There was no more guessing. When we have to guess what the other person wants, we get ourselves into trouble. Guys, let me ask you, have you ever been on a date? Have you ever been on more than one date? You know what this is like. I'm sorry, but sometimes women don't tell you what they want. They just assume you should know because you're with them. I don't get a lot of answers here. Maybe, maybe it's just me. But this is what it's like. God didn't want there to be any kind of mistake. He wanted us to know how to love Him and how to love our neighbor. He called us to be special because He gave us His Word. He gave us this Scripture so that we may know how to live and we may know how to live rightly. He didn't want us to guess. Back up to chapter 5. Verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. He shall be your one and only. Football shouldn't come before him. Work shouldn't come before him. Your own spouse shouldn't come before him. For you shall have no other God before him. Then it goes into the, you shall not uh, create graven images, all these kind of things. You shall not bow down and serve them. I mean, it's going on and on because he knows the importance and how easy it is to create a God other than him. You shall not take his name in vain. God is not a fortune cookie 
or a talisman to where things get rough that you can drop down on your knees and pray to him and he will make it all right. God wants a relationship before the bad times because he knows that there will be bad times in your life because he has given creation free will. And in giving free will, people act in evil ways. Evilness will spread over you. But God has given you a way through it. He has given your word. He has, teach, he has taught you how to react, how to seek his strength and his might so that you may get through those bad times because we know good times will come and that he will set you up on that mountain for all to see in triumph. It may not be in this life. It could be after Jesus Christ calls us all home. It could be after you have fallen asleep. But we will be vindicated, those who love the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And he will mount us high above all the earth so that those who mocked us and ridiculed us, that they will see and they will get the justice that is due them. For we serve a holy God and a holy God cannot live with unholy people. He has given us a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and by his blood we are made holy so that we may stand in his presence. But for others who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there will be no redemption for them. They will get the justice that their life demands. It is not up to us to set things right. It is up to God's timetable. It is up to us to follow God in love, for us to love God and to love our neighbor. He also says, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, we're not going to get into the legalism on having to celebrate a certain day of the week and all these kind of things. I mean, there's been debates that have raged through history on how to do this. But it is important to set aside time every week to focus on God, to be rejuvenated, to become his child again, so that we may re-enter to this world, this battlefield that we call home, strengthened by his love, by his power. To do what he has called us to do. He reminds them to remember. To remember when they were slaves. For us it is remember when we were slaves to the bondage of sin. When nothing in ourselves could break those chains. But it was Jesus Christ's power in the cross. That delivered us from that bondage. He teaches us to honor our father and mother. You will see how someone truly loves when their parents get sick or frail and need assistance. I have seen children do beautiful things for the elderly. I have seen the cruelness when it comes to their treatment too. God should affect how we treat our old and feeble I'm not saying every parent's that way, and we pray that none of us get that way. But it should affect how we care for our old. Do you just lock them up, get rid of them? There's always these science fiction movies and novels that have them where once you get to a certain point, they, they just kind of march you off to, to glory with a nice little injection or something. Because it's taxing on our system to care for those who get in that situation. But we show our love to the world on how we treat our own kin. It also says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. 
How do we treat our neighbor? You know, Jesus was asked because these words were debated. Who is our neighbor? Because if we can get a, an exception clause, if we can find out this person isn't our neighbor, we don't have to treat them with the same respect as those that are around us, right? We don't have to worry about those who may invade our shores. How do we treat our neighbors? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, that outsider, that outcast, those ones that would have listened to the story. They would have heard the enemy. And we know how the story goes that as the rabbis and the priests and all that who should have stopped and, and cared for this victim that didn't. And it was the least expected one that stopped and took care of the needs. He said, so who is this man's neighbor? Now this doesn't answer the problems of our political world. But it should answer the problem of your heart. Because hatred breeds laws. Hatred breeds animosity and division. Just look at our world. We've been more, we, I, I can't think of a time in my life that this world has been more politically divided. Can you? And if you try to step back and look for the angles of both sides, you can see that they just want to make this place better, but their execution is completely different. Their understanding of reality is just completely different. And yet we can't seem to carry on a civil conversation on each side to get the goods and the bad. Because if you're a Republican, great, vote your conscience. If you're a Democrat, great, vote your conscience. So how does that work? The Republicans do good things. They do bad things. The Democrats do good things. They do bad things. Is everyone supposed to be an independent? I don't know. It's not in the Bible. What the Bible tells us is we love God. We let Him be our every part of our being. We focus on the little things. The little things that are big things. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is what we focus on. We focus on loving God and letting Him be the priority in our life. And He will open up before us how we should live our lives in the public. Because I know one thing about this. As Baptists, we get a lot of things right, but I think we get a lot of things wrong because we are imperfect people living in an imperfect world. And the only one who can get things perfect is Jesus Christ. And He wants you to follow Him. He wants you to listen to His guidance and follow the way that He walked. And the way that He walked was against the way of the world. If we join with this world, we have lost. Because we have bound ourselves to someone other than God. We must walk the way that Christ walked. By the example that he left us. And we should do like these people. We should take a time to stop. And to listen. And to hear the words that God has given us in scripture. Before we attempt to enter the promised land. Because without a proper footing. We will never enter the political sphere on the right foot. 
we'll be drawn into one side or the other that are both equally wrong. If you want to enter into the political fight, do so. But do so squarely on the word of God. Stand up against evil. Stand up against the way the world would have us to live. It's not about morality, but it is about how God enables his creation to flourish. This is how we are to live. And this is what we are to teach the generations after us. We are to teach them what God has done for us. How we were once slaves in Egypt. How we, weren't, we were bound to the sin in our life. And what he has done to free us from that. How he sent his Lord Jesus Christ, his only son, to earth. To take on the form of flesh. To live among us. To see how the world was against him because what he stand for. He stand for truth and justice he stand for God. And he took on the burden of sin. And he became that perfect sacrifice. So that we may truly live for the first time. This is how we are to enter the world. We are to enter the world as God's redeemed. As God's soldiers. Not a political side. But one on God's side. Because above all things we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength and might. If we can do this, how we relate to others, how we vote, how we participate in society, how we work with our competitors, how we do business, how we raise our children, every facet of our life will be affected. And that is what God calls us to do. Because he is the creator of all. All of his creatures are precious in his sight. You know, I'm reminded as I read this, as it talks us, tells us to teach these words to our children, to talk about them day and night. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 14, Paul tells us this. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they were sent? We believe as Baptists in the priesthood of all believers. That means I don't stand above you even though I'm elevated now. I don't stand above you, but I am first among equals. I've been called to serve this church as a pastor, as a preacher. But you are equally called and sent because you have Jesus Christ in your life to give you power and authority to your words. But it first takes a foundation, and it is the foundation of faith. It is the foundation that we pass on to generation after generation until Christ comes again. Because we have received the promised land, we have been given the glory of God, we have been redeemed. We are loved. And in return, we are called to love God and to love others. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thankful, thank you for the message of Scripture. Lord, it is challenging to us. 
The simple fact of love is hard in application. Lord, we ask that you give us the strength that we may love the way that you have taught us to love. Love the way that Jesus loved us, that he would give up his lives for us so that we may be redeemed. Teach us to love your creation in the same way. For you have called us to a task, each and every one of us a different one. But each one you have called to spread your gospel, this good news message to those that are hurting and lost. And if we truly care about this great country we call home, we will bow down on our knees. And we will seek your guidance first before anything else. And if we can get ourselves right, and if we can take that to the leadership of this world, we will change our directions and get on your path, a path that just shows your glory and your love to others. Lord, we need strength to do this. Give us the strength as we leave here today to be your witnesses, to be those that have been called to tell others about the good news of your grace. It is in your name we pray. Amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if Jesus Christ has been tugging or knocking at that door, and today is the day that you are going to boldly say, I stand with Jesus. He is the Lord of my life. No matter what others may tell me, He is going to be first and foremost. Please come forward. Maybe you've been visiting First Baptist Church for a while, and today's the day that you're just going to join with us because there's something about this place that God is calling you to. Please come forward. Maybe your heart is heavy and you're just in need of prayer. If it is, come forward at this time.